Good morning, Sherwood Oaks. I hope you're having a great day. It's hard to believe we are already in the month of May. And my guess is uh, months ago when you were dreaming about spring and approaching next week is Mother's Day, uh, this isn't quite what you anticipated. Really, it's something that none of us have anticipated. But we're here. And it's hard, especially, uh, I'll just be honest, it's hard for me uh, to be in a room where there's really hardly anybody here, so I don't get a chance to hang out with people. And if you're ADD, as I am, to have to stand on an X is borderline torture. So anyway, uh, we're all in this together. I want to pray as we get rolling forward. And our theme today, as you know, is uh, behind closed doors. And if these walls could talk, what they would say. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, man, we just thank you for today. Thank you for this team that every Sunday diligently behind the scenes works so hard. And Lord, I thank you for everybody right now as we're live streaming. Um, we know that there's a lot of anxiousness and we know that there's a lot of confusion uh, that we have never been through anything like this. But Lord, we praise you for your son. We praise you for the power of your word that gives us hope. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If these walls could talk. Last week, Tom spoke about uh, tent walls, and he talked about Abraham's life. And our theme today is palace walls. And we're talking about specifically the life of Josiah. Matter of fact, you can take your scriptures and turn over to 2 Kings 22. We're going to get there in just a second. Um, palaces and castles are a lot alike. They're very similar. I have never been to um, a palace, but I've been to a couple of castles. The first is an extremely memorable experience. This castle is Hearst Castle. It's actually in uh, Sam Simeon, California. It is absolutely amazing. It sits on nearly 90,000 picturesque acres looking over the Pacific Ocean. It is breathtaking. And when you get there, you'll see that when this was built in 1919, for $11 million, today it would cost over $160 million. There are two lavish pools with these Roman columns in the pools. There's 56 bedrooms, 61 bathrooms. There was a private zoo, 19 entertaining rooms, again sitting on 90,000 acres. Presidents have been there. Winston Churchill has been there. Movie stars have been there. Foreign dignitaries. But when you go in the dining hall, this is what I really remember. This beautiful, beautiful table had all these flags and tapestry all over the walls. And this huge table is one of the things uh, that, uh, that they love to do is when they would host, uh, Hearst would love to bring in all these people and they would eat together for dinner. But the unwritten rule was this. You could stay as long as you wanted, but at dinner time, if you were at the very end of the table, that was Hearst's way of saying, you really need to go home. You need to leave. And what's interesting is when I think about God's table is there's always room at the table and we never have to leave. What a memorable castle that is. And then the second castle that I've been to, some of you have been there, it's on the west side. Of course, that's the Weiss Castle. And the thing about White Castle is it is a very forgettable experience. So some of you have experienced different castles in your life. Maybe some of you have actually visited a palace, for example, Buckingham Palace, or maybe you visit Windsor Castle. But it's really not about the palace that I want to get into today. It's who lived there in the palace. It's the youngest king of Judah, and his name is Josiah. 
And I want to share with you a timeline. This may help you. When he was eight years old, he became the youngest king of Judah. At age 16, he began to seek out God and the God that he wanted to follow. He wanted to follow like his ancestor, David. He didn't want to follow the God like his dad or his grandfather because, honestly, they were spiritually worthless. So he set his sights on David. And then at age 20, he began, it says, to purge the entire area, removing all of the places of idols and then removing all of the idols. And then he wanted to rebuild the temple of God. Between ages 26 and 39, he led the nation of Israel back to God's word. This morning, we're going to talk about two timeless lessons from Josiah's life. And lesson number one is simply this, and this is so important. We learn what God's priorities are for his people. Follow with me. 2 Kings 22, verse 1 and 2. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed completely the ways of his father, David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Now, just to put this in historical context, his father was Ammon, and Ammon's father was Manasseh. And what they had in common was they pursued pagan gods. And because of that, Judah was spiritually bankrupt. Matter of fact, his father Ammon was uh, king at the age of 22, and then he was assassinated. And then Judah rose up, and they squelched that coup, And they put the rightful king in his place, but that king was only eight years old. Now, I played a game when I was a kid. You played the same game. It was if I could be president for a day. Do you remember those conversations? Now, I was such a mature child. And I I can tell you, if I was president for a day, number one is no more school. (laughs) Well, that's what the president's done here. But anyway, no more school. And I would have, uh, if you did have school, I would extend some things. Not math or science. We're talking PE. I mean, we're going to do the important things. You've played that game. But imagine if you're eight years old and you're the king and your number one priority is to lead your nation the way David led the nation. Now, here's what we need to know about David. It gives us a lesson on what God looks for in a king. It's what God's priorities are for all of us. If you go back to 1 Samuel 8, you'll see that Israel was begging for a king because all the pagan nation had kings. Now remember, they already had Moses, they had Joshua, they had judges, but that wasn't enough. They had to have a king. They could care less if the king's heart was right as long as he looked good. Well, they got what they wanted. That was King Saul. And if you know that story, you know Saul was a train wreck. Why? Because his heart was not right with God. So then God began to look for another person to be king, and he picked a child. And that child's name, of course, was David. We see a lot about God's priority and his priorities in all of our life through Josiah. 
What I love about God is there's no age limitations or restrictions. It doesn't matter what your gender, your race, your political party, whether you went to IU or Purdue, God doesn't care. God's priorities are different than our priorities. You see, all of us that are parents and grandparents, I guarantee we've all experienced this together. It's, it's disturbing to say the least. You plan to go to an amusement park, so let's just pick one. Let's pick the best amusement park in Indiana, uh, Holiday World. That wonderful place of free parking and free soda and free suntan lotion. I mean, can you get any better than that? That's the trifecta of goodness and glory. And you go in as a parent, and when your kids are really small, uh, they don't know that there's anything greater than Kitty Land. You know Kitty Land. Everything's reduced down to their size. They have miniature roller coasters, and they have merry-go-rounds, and it's just so sweet. But they know something's wrong. As they get older, they look around the park. They hear the laughter pouring out from other regions, and they want to explore. And as they begin to explore, they realize, oh, no, there's a whole world out here, an amazing world where the adults ride big rides. And then there's the, what I call the cartoon sheriffs. You know what I'm talking about? It's those little cutouts, and it says something like, hey, buckaroo, you got to be this tall to get on this ride. Those are good times, aren't they? And every child does the same thing. They get on their tippy toes, and then you break their little hearts, and you'd say, oh, I feel so bad. Hey, go get some more free soda. I mean, that's just the way we roll. But at the end of the day, isn't it painful when you go through that with your kids, your grandkids, because there's restrictions, not with God. No, God looks at our hearts, and he loves the hearts of children. Some of the most profound spiritual lessons that we'll ever learn in life, we will learn from our kids and our grandkids. So for all of the kids out there in TV land today, I want you to know something. You are priceless to God and you're priceless to the church. We can learn so much from you. When we moved back to Indiana, moved back uh, to work here at Sherwood Oaks, which is hard to believe, almost 15 years ago. And we moved from a small town in Illinois. And uh, I would love to tell you that our kids just were thrilled with that decision. To quote my oldest daughter, Rachel, I think it went something like, uh, thank you, Dad, for ruining our lives. I think something like that. Um, and as we pulled into town, uh, I just knew this was going to be hard. One of our kids was going to be going to grade school. One was going to go to junior high, one to high school. So we knew that first year was going to be tough. Our youngest, Danielle, not only was going to a new grade school, it really was a new grade school. It was Summit. So Summit was having kids from all over the area. And as she went to school, uh, she just had a lot of really difficult days those first few weeks. But as the semester wore on, Danielle had some friends and things were going well. And a teacher gave us... Uh, a little letter Daniel had wrote the teacher. And uh, I kept that letter in my Bible for years, and I actually gave it back to Daniel last year. In the letter, she asked the teacher if she could start a club. And the club, she said, was for kids who were moving to school from somewhere else because she knew how hard that was, or for kids that didn't have um, friends. And she said, I would like to have a group of people that make sure that there's always somebody to sit by 
anybody who needs a friend at lunch because nobody should ever be alone. I've thought about that so often, about the timeless, priceless lessons that I've learned from my kids and all of you have learned from your kids. Jesus absolutely loves children. I love the scene where the children are clamoring around Jesus and I can just picture Jesus laughing and and the kids, and, and remember the disciples are like, I get the kids away from Jesus. And Jesus, no, no, let the kids, let the kids come and hang out with me. And then what does Jesus tell us in Matthew 18 about children? Well, he tells us two things. Number one, we all need to have the faith of a child. All of us need to have the faith of a child. Don't you love how ambitious kids are with their faith? And the other thing is, Jesus said, you protect these kids. So let me tell you something about Sherwood Oaks. At all of our campuses, when we do open up, whether that's 2020 or 2021, whenever that year, month is, here's what I guarantee. Your kids will be safe and they will be protected. It's at the very top of our priority. Kids matter to God and they matter to us. God cherishes children. It's a lesson that all of us need to learn about God's priorities. I can tell you from being a youth minister for nearly 20 years, what used to drive me nuts is when people would say, John, you have such a great job. It's such an important job because you know these kids, they're the church of tomorrow. And I'd always say, no, no, that's not true. No, they're the church of today. They matter right now. You are priceless to God and you're priceless to us. But there's a second timeless lesson from the life of Josiah. It comes straight from 2 Kings 22:13, And I love to see that Josiah and that timeline that we talked about went from ages 8 to 20 and there was a spiritual awakening in him. And he did two very significant things. Number one, he went out across this nation of Judah and he removed all the places where there was pagan worship. He removed all of the idols In essence, there was a spiritual spring cleaning. And as they began to clean everything out, he also developed through Hukiah, the high priest, he was going to rebuild the temple. And while they were rebuilding the temple, Hukiah found the book of law, the Pentateuch. And I want you to listen to verse 13, 2 Kings 13. Go and inquire of the Lord for me, And for the people of all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found, great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. In other words, Josiah, now a young man, said, listen, when I heard God's word read to me, It broke my heart because we have strayed so far from the word of God and we're going to get back to the book. I'm going to lead by the principles that are in this book. In a broken world, the light of God will shine through me, through the book. I want you to think about the world that we live in today. Is there ever been a time that we don't desperately need Jesus and desperately need to get back to the book as what we're going through right now. Behind the scenes, 
we know that there is a lot of pain. In the Indianapolis Star, April 3rd, the 211 Mental Health Hotline averages somewhere around 1,000 calls a day. That was before the, the virus. On the highest day, there was a specific day they had 25,000 calls. Think about that. Think about the pain right now. Addiction hotline has increased 500%. Alcohol sales have increased anywhere from 70 to 100%. Right now, people are searching for answers, and we have the answer. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. You know, I'm just like everybody else. I think people sometimes think ministers live in a bubble. You know, that we wake up every day and it's sunflowers and unicorns and we just, oh, every day is so great. And it's just not that way. There are days, just like all of you, that waves of like anxiety come over me. Uh, One of the things that God has blessed me with for years is I love to just actually just walk and just spend time with God. I got up early one morning, I went for a long walk, and I came in, I got a cup of coffee, and I picked up my old Bible. And um, it's a Bible I got when I came back to Sherwood Oaks. And uh, I started thinking about this old Bible and what it's been through. And I'm telling you, it's been through uh, rain, snow, a couple of car washes. It's kept together with duct tape. It's got quotes, it's got dates in there. It just has so much in there. That's a spiritual journey that I've been through. And that morning, I got pretty emotional about my Bible and about what the Bible means to me. And then I found this uh, uh, Twitter, uh, and it's a poem by Christopher Columbus, and I'd like to share it with you. The Bible. Banned, burned, beloved. It's more widely read, more frequently attacked than any book in history. Generations of intellectuals have attempted to discredit it. Dictators of every age have outlawed it and executed those who read it. Yet, soldiers carry it into battle, believing it more powerful than their weapons. Fragments of it are smuggled into solitary prison cells, have transformed ruthless killers in gentle giants. Why? Because of God's word. And so I posted a picture of my Bible, and I asked others, just post a picture of your Bible. I'd love to hear some of your stories. And they started rolling in. And I just want to share a couple of those stories. I share with you what my Bible's been through, but a lot of you have got Bibles, and they've got their stories. Tom Lindberger, I loved it, sent a picture of his iPad. And uh, I want to recommend it's called YouVersion app. And he talks about how... Uh, He loves to read on his iPad. I think that's awesome. Some of you at home using your iPad or your iPhone as you're getting into God's word. That is great. A good friend, Kim Goat, sent a picture of her Bible, had a coffee stain on the cover. It has been uh, rebuilt. And she said that uh, she's even got a bookmark in there from her best friend in high school. And she remembers how powerful this book has been her entire life. And honestly, one of the greatest memories that I have growing up Uh, My mother grew up during the Depression. Uh, She has like a fifth or sixth grade uh, education, a hard life, but my mother absolutely loved the Word of God. 
She was an avid reader, and I mean, she poured over the Bible like uh, you just can't even imagine. I watched her read that cover to cover, year after year after year, highlighting and just sitting at that kitchen table. And I, I said one day, you know, Mom, why do you read the Bible so much? She said, Johnny, if your Bible's falling apart, your life isn't. And I tell you, that is spot on. Uh, when you go through the most difficult times, don't walk away from this. That's why one of the things we're doing right now at Sherwood Oaks, I'm really excited about. We were uh, having a meeting here a couple of weeks ago with the Westside staff. We were talking about as we go into the month of May, how can we bless the congregation here at Sherwood Oaks, all of the congregations. And it was great because as we began to talk, we said so many people were saying, I, I would really love in the midst of all this chaos, kind of a deeper level Bible study kind of a Bible study plan. And so he said, what would it be like if we could put together a plan where you are walking every day with Jesus? What would that look like? So here's what we came up with is, is we will go on, it's called, if you go to the SOCC website, it's called Steps with Our Savior. Steps with Our Savior. Do you know that Jesus walked nearly 22,000 miles? That's almost 50 million steps. But do you know the greatest step? It's the first step we take towards Jesus Christ. So here's how it works. Every day you get up, whatever the day is. So today is May 3rd. You read John chapter 3. And then we also have a 20-minute lesson, which is more of an interview. The first interview actually is with Tom Ellsworth. And Tom is talking about John the author and John the Baptist. And we'll have every day a posting along with small group questions or questions you can use in your individual study as you go steps with our Savior to get deeper into the Word of God. It means everything to draw closer to God through His Word. I was doing some research about the name COVID-19, the coronavirus. And you know where the name came from? It's interesting. Um, it's when they put it under a magnifying that they found uh, under the microscope that it had crown-like spikes on its surface. And that's why they actually call this the thorny crown virus. Now think about that. Does that sound familiar? There was another crown of thorns that we're very aware of. It's the crown of thorns that Jesus wore. But here's the difference. This virus, this coronavirus, does not have the final word. But the crown of thorns wore by our Savior, he does have the final word. And he says that there's hope. There's always hope with Jesus. So I was listening to a message by Carl Eidelman, who is a minister down at Southeast uh, Christian Church uh, down in Louisville, and it's called uh, Re uh, Reverse the Curse. And he was sharing from Isaiah 65 and Revelation 21. He converted that into what he calls a no more list. He keeps a no more list. And I started thinking about that. I've thought about all the funerals that I've done in my life, preaching from Isaiah 65, preaching from Revelation 21. And I love the no mores. It says in Isaiah 65, for example, no more children dying, no more unemployment, no more war. Matter of fact, it says the wolf and the lamb will eat together. Revelation 21 says there's no more tears, there's no more darkness, there's no more deceit, no more shame. So I put together my own no more list. 
in heaven. There are no more crutches or wheelchairs, band-aids or pain. There's no more comb-overs, receding hairlines or mullets. There's no more counting calories or diets or stretchy pants or scales. There's no more depression, no more divorce, no more disease. There's no more social distancing, politics. There's no more fear. There's no more 2 a.m. phone calls, no more goodbyes. There's no more death, no more. That's what his word promises us. Man, I am so thankful for a God whose priorities leads us to the heart of a child. And I'm so thankful for the passion of Josiah for God's word that we can have that in our lives that will give us hope during our most difficult days. In just a little while after I pray, you're going to get a chance to see a communion video that will prepare our hearts. The video is by Marsha Turner-Shear. Please listen to her words as she prepares our hearts for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. We praise you for this word that will never die. And we praise you for the hope that we will always live with you. We love you and we cherish you for this day. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.